Mark Vanderwada, we love having you on this show because you are one of the best investigative reporters on the planet. And when you turn your attention to something, we want to know what you found. And what you turned your attention to most recently is Brett Favre and this Mississippi welfare scandal. But more specifically, Favre's involvement with a pharmaceutical company called Prevacus. What made you interested in this part of that story? I think that, you know, I'd done a lot of reporting along with my brother around concussions and brain trauma. Mark Fainruwada is an award-winning writer for ESPN who co-authored the book League of Denial, The NFL, Concussions, and the Battle for Truth in 2013. The Mississippi story, the focus has all been on this question of, of welfare money being misspent and misused. But it was interesting to see that one of the companies at the center of this that, that Farr was tied to is this company, Prevacus. And it's a concussion drug company. The company Prevacus, I mean, we don't learn about it until the Mississippi welfare fraud case happens, but it dates back to 2012. And that's really in the throes of the moment in which the NFL's concussion crisis has become very much a public discussion. There are growing concerns about the long-term effects of concussions and other hits to the head. It's become a who's who of former NFL stars who've complained about or were diagnosed with ailments connected to repeated blows to the head. Now the NFL must confront a most serious issue, the possible correlation between football and brain damage. But what also grows out of it is a deluge of research money and entrepreneurs trying to find a way to solve the issue or looking for opportunities to get into the market um, to solve a problem no one's been able to figure out. And so the question that you had going into this then was what? At the onset, I think it was, what is this thing? What is Prevacus? Where did they come from? What are they selling? These guys were marketing a drug with the idea that they could possibly even prevent and certainly treat concussion. And to me, there was a real question about trying to figure out whether that worked. You probably remember how the whole Brett Favre welfare scandal started out in Mississippi, where the Hall of Fame quarterback was accepting money meant for the poorest Americans in America's poorest state to fund a volleyball facility at his alma mater, the University of Southern Mississippi. But Favre's role in that case only became known to investigators when they began looking into something else entirely, a little-known drug company in Florida that was promising to give the entire football world the miracle that it needed. So today, Mark Fainruwada investigates the real story behind Prevacus and its gunslinging primary investor, and how to find the line between malice and incompetence. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Tuesday, November 8th. This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. 
Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, Mark, this is episode number three of our coverage of the Mississippi welfare scandal that has ensnared Brett Favre. But this episode is noticeably different insofar as it kind of tells the backstory as to how Brett Favre got involved in it in the first place. And it all begins with Prevacus, this drug company, and it's a related company called Presol MD. What are these things? How did Brett Favre end up connected to them? This all sort of goes back, as I was saying, to 2012. This guy, Jacob via Landingham, a neuroscientist, had grown interested in this idea of, is there a drug to treat concussions? And around this time that he's trying to raise money to develop this drug, he ends up getting introduced to Favre through a mutual friend. And Favre, not long before that, had gone on national television and said, had he had a son, he would have been leery of letting his son play football because of the concerns about brain trauma related to repeatedly hitting your head from the sport. I, I mean, I could understand. In fact, if I had a son, I, I would be real leery of him playing. And that sounds, uh, in some respects, I'm almost glad I don't have a son. In all honesty, I would have a, a hard time of just throwing him out there. Mm. And so the two of them connect back around 2014 and begin to launch this effort to develop these drugs. And this relationship with Favre was more than just a mutual curiosity. There seemed to be actual money involved here. Absolutely. I mean, Favre initially is, is getting stock for his role as sort of an advisor in the company, but he ultimately invests what he describes later as, as at least a million dollars in the companies, if not possibly more. And the drugs in question, what were they trying to make the product itself? So there's two different products. There's a product that the Landingham has described as a nasal spray. And the nasal spray is designed to treat concussions. And the idea, as he describes it, is that you squirt this spray through your nose. It then gets through the brain barrier and into the brain. And the idea is that it would reduce the swelling that typically follows a concussion or a, a severe blow to the head. And that product would require FDA approval. The other product, which is a non-FDA approved drug, is a cream. And the cream he describes as something you dab on each side of your neck, basically around your trachea. And that's supposed to basically get into the system by dabbing it uh, on the neck. And then ultimately the suggestion is it could possibly prevent or at least minimize the effect of a concussion. Which are, by the way, staggering suggestions, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, if you could do that, I mean, you would you would change the nature of much of this conceivably. And I think yes. that was the excitement to him and, and probably anybody who was looking at or thinking about this thing. And where did the idea for these drugs come from in the first place? Well, so it, it, it appears the ideas first stem from work that Van Lanningham had done when he was at Emory. So they're doing studies related to a, a sort of neurosteroid called progesterone. They're doing studies around that and related steroids. Van Lanningham is a lead author on two papers that are looking at the use of, of those substances to help limit or moderate the effects of, of TBI, of traumatic brain injury, 
on people. And the studies are animal-based studies. They're using rats. So there's no, there's no humans involved. And Lanningham says that later after he leaves Emory, he develops a sort of new chemical entity along with a chemist. And that entity is, is what's used in this nasal spray in what he describes as the effort to treat concussions. This seems like incredibly intriguing science, which raises a larger question about what is the reputation scientifically of Jacob Van Landingham, the founder and inventor of the company, uh, in the world of research and in the pharmaceutical industry? I don't know. I'm not sure how to answer that question because I think we did try to find out as much as we could about Van Landingham and his background, particularly the work he'd done at Florida State and at Emory, because that's sort of those are the two last stops he has before he he goes into private sort of business running Prevacus. He's a postdoc at Emory. We talked to people who worked with him there and sort of a mixed bag. There was one woman who was very positive about him, but there were others who said that he'd sort of overstated um, and inflated his role at Emory. And then we tried to find people at Florida State to talk about him, which is where he became a neuroscientist, where he got his PhD, and basically nobody would talk to us. And so it's a little hard to say what his reputation was. In his bios, one thing he does is describe himself during his time at Emory as the assistant director of this brain lab and also the leader of a particular biomarker study. I had ended up talking to me and landing him about this because there had been some questions raised. And, you know, I told him that there was questions about whether he'd ever been the assistant lab director. And then landing him said, I wasn't anybody who basically doesn't believe that can kiss my ass. And mm. he said, I was made the assistant lab director by Don Stein who ran the lab. Well, I told him I'd talked to Don Stein actually. And it was Don Stein who said, that's just not the case. He wasn't <laughs> the assistant lab director. And then Van Landingham said, well, you know, Don's getting old. So there was definitely this back and forth about exactly what he had done and what role he had played. And the biomarker study, right? This is, again, a biomarker study towards the better understanding of how to treat a traumatic brain injury, correct? Correct. And in that case, he, in the bio, describes himself as the leader of that study. And when you talk to both Stein and a guy, another guy who was the postdoc there at the time and now runs the lab, they both say that that was not true. He was not the leader of that, that study. So, you know, these are, these are not huge points in, in his bio. I mean, there are two pieces of his bio. At the same time, they're speaking to a credibility question that we wanted to look further at. So you mentioned all of these rat trials. And to me, a layperson, uh, it does raise further questions about well, how does this get approval to actually get used on humans? What is the process there like? So with the nasal spray, it requires FDA approval. And the FDA approval process is a long, drawn-out process that can be quite expensive, costing millions and millions of dollars and, and cover many years. Plenty of researchers will tell you that just because a drug works on animals doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work on humans. And so first is this first step on animals, then it's beginning the process of trying to find out about the safety of the drug. And then it's beginning after that further testing to ultimately determine whether the drug actually works on human beings. And, and so that's the process these guys were beginning to go through 
And to do that, it requires a lot of money. Yeah. And so to get that money, what's their strategy? How do they begin to fundraise? Well, I think this is what I found really interesting about this circumstance was because what they did was they basically put on a, a marketing campaign. I mean, they put together almost like a PR blitz. Let's uh, bring in Brett Favre, Hall of Fame quarterback. Joining us right now is former NFL star Brett Favre and the founder and president of Prevacus, Dr. Jacob Van Landingham. Going on radio, TV, podcasts, national television. Jacob Van Landingham has developed a product that you can apply on the neck. It's a cream that within seven minutes is providing anti-inflammatory protection for seven hours. The key is uh, to try to get the drug uh, into the brain, to the target organ, obviously, as fast as possible. Talking about initially just the nasal spray and how effective it would be. They are stating, this is what the drug's gonna do. This is how effective this unbelievable drug is. And you wait till it gets out there. We've been working probably seven, eight years on a drug that is administered nasally, but that requires FDA approval. It stimulates the DNA to produce three separate products uh, that are beneficial to try to reduce these concussion symptoms. Some of them really do seem like infomercials. I mean, there's one you watch where there's basically a promo for the product on the screen throughout. Jake, you did a dog study. He calls me, he says, are you sitting down? And he said, you're not gonna believe this, but it worked. But what's happening is some of these are interviews with both Van Landingham and Favre, some are separate interviews. And Van Landingham, being a researcher, is talking a bit more scientifically. This is a very safe product and one that I can assure you is going to peak in the brain at two hours and last for six. Favre is more Favian. It may reduce a major concussion to a mild concussion, very, very likely. And a mild concussion may not result in any swelling in the brain. Really, it's, it's a, an incredible product. There's even one point where Van Landingham and Favre are both suggesting that this can be the end of CTE, the neuro disease that um, is sort of plagued the NFL yes. and football now. Wait, they're saying that they can, they're saying they can solve, that this, that this product can solve the thing that is plaguing the NFL. Well, yeah, I mean, Favre at one point says, we're here to save the future. We're here today to save the future, whether it be my grandsons, your son. If there's a treatment, it sure makes everyone, especially parents, breathe a lot easier at night. And Van Landingham then says, And we believe that if we can stop this pathological cascade early on, then we're going to end up having a lot less of what's called post-concussion syndrome, post-traumatic stress disorder. And ultimately, we believe by treating it early, our future players will not be enduring CTE. Van Landingham also even says that the drug is safer to use than Tylenol. And, and what's interesting about that is beyond this sort of question of whether it is safer to use than Tylenol is that's back in 2014. And I to give them benefit of the doubt, I'm sure they've been doing their own testing, but there's been no phase one testing that they've done around simply the safety of the drug. That's not reported by them until just this past year. Mm. So to be suggesting at that point that it's safer to use than Tylenol, I think probably would raise some questions, certainly with researchers and scientists. 
at another point, the Landingham, Farb, and several other athletes who are connected to Prevacus as sort of athlete investors appear on Megyn Kelly's Today Show. And we're back now with Brett Favre, Abby Wambach, David Ross, and Kurt Warner. And in our audience, we have Jacob Van Landingham. He's a neuroscientist and creator of the possible breakthrough concussion medication. And they're basically promoting Prevacus's nasal spray. Van Landingham is there. Hmm. He holds up an example of the nasal applicator that's going to be used to deliver the spray. It's a neurosteroid. Uh, it's given nasally, so we can get more of it into the brain very quickly. Through this applicator here, uh, we're able to get it into the brain in less than five minutes. He then begins to describe how the way it's formulated, it's going to stay stable to over 125 degrees. So in Afghanistan, Iraq, on a football field, a soccer field, and we're able to get it because we give it nasally. And then he talks about how we're able to get it through the brain and how it's going to reduce swelling um, and inflammation. It diffuses throughout all regions of your brain within 30 minutes. It reduces the swelling of the brain? Swelling, inflammation, and what's called oxidative stress. And the athletes all, as they're asked questions about their own experiences, work Prevacus into their responses. When you talk about Prevacus and you talk about why are you involved, I feel like I have to be involved. Yeah. You know, that it, it is something that's out there. It's groundbreaking. It's something that can change the complexion of things. Has this been approved by the FDA now? No, we're still we're in the process of clinical right. trials now. We're trying to get that. And I should yep. notice you guys are all in investors in this drug. You believe in it. And you, I assume, wish it had been around when you guys were playing. <laughs> yeah. Again, the drug is not on the market. The drug is not for sale. It has not been <laughs> FDA approved, nor has it ever been tested to show the efficacy it might have on humans. So publicly, Jacob Van Landingham is promising all sorts of things. And Brett Favre is selling this future that they can save in ways that are less scientific. But in the meetings with these investors, the actual money behind this, what do you know about what those conversations looked like? So there's a marketing document that appears to be designed to raise money for the cream product. And in that document, it also lists a bunch of information about Prevacus and the nasal spray. And so throughout the document, there's references to connections to the NFL or connections to the NFL PA or connections to the NCAA. They list the two effectively top health and safety guys with the NFL. So Dr. Alan Sills, who's the chief medical officer of the, the NFL, and Jeff Miller, who's the head of health and safety for the NFL. Both these guys are intimately involved in the head trauma issue as it relates to the league. Yeah. And so I was really interested. I was like, okay, so these guys are listed under a heading that's key advisory and associates. What kind of communication have they had with Prevacus? And the same was true. They also listed Dr. Brian Hainline, who's the chief medical officer for the NCAA. And then they also said things like, They'd provided samples and cultivated relationships with six NFL teams. The document also talks about connections with the NFL Players Association. So it suggests that um, there are relationships with 100 retired NFL players. So all of these things were things that I was really interested in and curious to, to check on. And so if this is to be believed, what we're talking about here is a set of relationships high up in the league office. And so when you set out to investigate all of these purported connections, what did you actually find? 
basically, they appeared to be really not associations or advisors, but rather people that the company had called. The NFL said, look, we've heard from these guys, but we don't have any association with them. We're not connected to them in any way. The NFLPA said the same thing. The NCAA said the same thing on behalf of Hainline. There was basically a message of like, yeah, we've heard from these guys, but we are not working with them. And any suggestion that we are is incorrect. After the break, what the evidence actually says about Prevagus. Delicious meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs of real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, Mark, you had just told us that essentially every entity that Previk has claimed to have a partnership or a relationship with denied to you that such a relationship ever existed. But the medical claims here, right, for this miracle drug that's going to save football and prevent concussions and all of that, what evidence did you find to support the idea that any of that might be plausible? Well, I think the reality was there was no evidence at this point to suggest that the drugs worked in humans. So... I think that there were certainly claims to be made that the drugs could work in rats or dogs based on Prevacus's and Presol's claims about the research they had done. When Van Lanningham was at Emory, you know, he published these two papers and, and others related to the question of these rat studies and the impact of, of using these substances on rats and minimizing TBI to the suggestion that these drugs were ready to go and or that they would work and that they were effective on humans. There just was no research to suggest that at this point. And when you talk to the experts in this field, um, scientists who study this stuff, what did they tell you about 
the whole idea? You know, I talked to a few different folks. They were they were all pretty skeptical. Um, Dr. Stephen Dukoski is a guy we spoke with uh, extensively during our reporting for League of Denial. And he basically said he looked for evidence to see, you know, whether there's really anything to back what they're saying is true. And he, he just said, I couldn't find any. And I think he's, again, he's referring to this idea that at this point, there is no evidence, at least in the, in the research, in the publisher, in the published research, certainly nothing peer-reviewed or even otherwise to suggest that you can say this drug works in humans yet. And so when you take your research to Jacob Van Landingham, the founder, the researcher behind all of this, how does he respond? There's two different pieces to this, right? So there's the piece about the claims as they relate to the connections with the leagues and the PA and the NCAA and others. To that point, Van Landingham says, I was not at all trying to suggest that these guys were key advisors or associates. They're listed as other contacts and maybe I could have, we could have crafted the document better so that there was a separation and not given any suggestion that we were working with Alan Sills or Jeff Miller or Brian Hainline. That was never my intention. And we never were trying to suggest that we were working in partnership or had any relationship with the NFL. I did talk to those guys, he said. I told them what I was working on. And they basically said that I should keep them posted. And so again here, the guys, the names you just mentioned are the people in charge of health and safety for the NFL and the NCAA respectively. But what about the claims also of a relationship with the NFL Players Association? How real was that part? The Landingham basically said this, the connection to the PA stemmed from a relationship he developed with Byron Williams, who's a former NFL player. He's a president of the Dallas chapter of retired NFL players. And he's a member of the NFLPA's former player advisory board. So he has some ties to the PA. But Van Landingham says that it's Williams who is his connection to the PA and that that's what leads him to say they're partnering, or he suggests that's what leads him to say they're partnering with the NFLPA. And so, yeah, Byron Williams is saying what then when you go to him? William says, look, I, I, I was never representing us myself in any way as being part of the PA or suggesting that this was a PA study or that the PA was in support of such a study. He said, I never would have done that. The PA is not going to support anything without getting lawyers involved or being part of that discussion. So I was contacted because of this role and I was helping facilitate essentially introducing them and setting them up with these young players who they might test this cream product on. He also, interestingly enough, then added that he had a contract with Van Landingham for those services and that there was now a breach of contract lawsuit, arguing that he was still owed compensation for having done that work. So that's the first part of this. But then there's the other part, too, which is just the science and effectiveness aspect. And what did Van Landingham say when you confronted him about that stuff? So he said he, it was never his intention to suggest that the drug worked in humans, that he was solely suggesting that the drug, pointing out that the drug had worked in animals and that he predicted it might work in humans. He hoped it might work in humans. He said mm. it was always clear that the nasal spray needed FDA approval. And his point was that there are plenty, you know, as he told us, there are plenty of researchers out there that are trying to promote their drugs to get funding because the FDA process is so expensive. 
And so we're, we're very clear to people that, that that's what the, the deal is. And, and he said basically the same was true with the cream product that he, even though it didn't require FDA approval, that he was not trying to convey that the drug definitely worked in humans, but just trying to convey his hope based on the way the animal studies had played out. But it's hard to hear that claim, that defense, Mark, and not think of, again, some of these interviews that they gave, right? Like, there's one clip from an interview you found where Brett Favre himself is is bold, quite bold in the claims he's making about the promise of the research that Prevacus was undertaking. And he and his interviewer are musing, essentially, about just how the drug might help people, even young kids. Having it in school. Maybe schools don't adopt it right away, but parents do. And parents says, look, before you send my kid out to the playground, make sure you rub this cream on his neck. You know, why not? And so as for the evidence behind that sort of a claim that you can rub this cream on a kid's neck and prevent concussion, you found what on that front? There's just no evidence at this point to show that that's true, at least as it relates to humans. What do we know now then about how much Brett Favre actually knew about the research, the science, or lack thereof behind this drug. I mean, Favre's, you know, he's a, he's not a researcher. He's not a scientist, obviously. And so whatever he's getting, he's getting largely from, if not entirely, from his discussions with Van Landingham. And Van Landingham's answer to us when we talked about that was, well, look, you know, Brett's not as sophisticated as I am. He's not a scientist. So if he sort of missteps, I'm going to try to correct him. I always have. But, you know, I mean, if you look at the statements that Van Landingham himself makes about, for example, the cream, there's a podcast where he's talking about like, look, you just, you just dab this thing off and it, on you and this is what it's going to do and it's going to work. I promise you. All you got to do is take a little bit on your index finger, rub it on the left side of the trachea, then take a little bit and rub it on the right and in less than 30 minutes, that small anti-inflammatory will be in your brain. I promise. Right. I mean, Mark, this is, this is where I, I think our show should refer back to some of our own reporting on this story, just because we had Shad White, the auditor for the state of Mississippi, on this show. And he told us how Prevacus was the thing that first put Brett Favre in their crosshairs that kicked off all of this. What we saw when we were investigating was that millions of dollars of welfare funds here in the state had gone to Prevacus. So really, those were the key elements that first showed us that something involving Brett Favre uh, was at play here because Mr. Favre was an investor in Prevacus. Mr. Favre had relationships both with the head of the agency and with the folks who were running this nonprofit. So that gave us reason to dig a little bit deeper into, into any other transactions that might have been involving him or Favre Enterprises. Could you fill in the details there a bit and, and connect how Prevacus links to this whole expansive welfare scandal still unfolding in Mississippi? Sure. So, so you end up basically back in 2020 with six people arrested and they're charged basically as part of this multi-million dollar embezzlement scheme. Now, to be clear, neither Favre nor the Landingham end up being charged, but the state of Mississippi later files a civil lawsuit against 38 individuals and companies. Among those are Van Landingham and Favre and Van Landingham's companies, Prevacus and Presol MD. And the allegations as they relate to those two are that $2.1 million ended up 
going to the two companies, money that had been intended for welfare families, but that instead went to Prevagus and Presol MD as part of what the lawsuit describes as a sham agreement. I think it's really important to be clear. Both Favre and Van Landingham have said, and Van Landingham told us, they had no idea this money was welfare money. And Van Landingham's lawyer tells me he believes that Van Landingham was misled and that there's no responsibility on their part for sort of repaying any monies that would have come as a result of, of the case. What role did Brett Favre play in helping Jacob Van Landingham and Prevacus secure these welfare funds from the state of Mississippi? So, I mean, as we know, Favre is from Mississippi. He's uh, incredibly popular there and well-known, obviously. And his connections to people ultimately were part of what connects Prevacus and Van Landingham to these funds. It's Favre who begins to make introductions um, including to the former governor of the state and also to this woman, Nancy New, who's running a nonprofit. New herself actually recently pleaded guilty in the case. And it's News Company in which the state alleges the funds were funneled through to get to Prevacus. And that's where the sort of $2.1 million is in question. Yeah, I mean, it's notable here that Prevacus is a Florida-based company. And this is just to be very clear here, this is the state of Mississippi giving money to a venture that's not even in the state of Mississippi. What would they have to gain from that? Well, the suggestion was that the support was basically to end up conducting trials and establishing, I think if I remember correctly, establishing a center in Mississippi to conduct these trials or doing that at a spot that was already established. And so the money was supposed to be, at least according to Favre and Van Lanningham and and others that the idea was the reason that Mississippi was even involved in giving them money was that was that basically Prevacus would end up performing some of its services and doing trials in the state of Mississippi. Did any center or initiative like the ones you just alluded to ever materialize? Not that I'm aware of. So so Mark. What is the, after all of this, what is the state of the union between Jacob Van Landingham and Brett Favre? Are they still partners? Where are they in terms of these products ever coming to market and the research required to get to that point? So to the question of Favre and Van Landingham, there's nothing to suggest that the two have, have parted ways. Mm. What we do know is that last year, Van Landingham essentially sold Prevacus's drug, this nasal spray, to a company called Odyssey Health, which is a privately held medical company. And they say they're focused on the development of, of life-saving medical products and other health-related technologies. So as part of that deal, Van Landingham becomes Odyssey's vice president of drug development. So it's a essentially a, a, a collaborative relationship that's established in which Van Landingham has now sold the rights to the drug and to Odyssey and is working with them. So we talked to the folks at Odyssey. Mike Redmond is the CEO of Odyssey. And one of the things that we asked a number of times and the scientists and researchers raised with us is, well, where is the evidence to show that this drug works? Why is there nothing peer-reviewed that's been published in, in legitimate medical journals or anything like that? And Odyssey's position and it's Van Landingham's position as well is that, look, you've got to be really careful about putting too much out there and basically undermining your patent. So they believe they have a special, unique product that is going to, in their minds, hopefully 
address this concussion issue and that if they put too much out in the public domain, that it will undermine their position as it relates to the patent. So just to be extra clear here, this is not over yet. I mean, they're still claiming that this thing might actually work. Yeah, they're still moving forward. They recently announced that they completed their phase one of testing. And phase one is the testing that's done strictly to determine whether the drug is safe. And so they did this testing in Australia. They said they used 16 healthy test subjects. And the results showed that the drug was safe. Not that it worked on humans, but that it was safe. And so the next step is to begin these te- the, the, the testing phase two, phase three, that would ultimately determine whether the drug works or not and ultimately gets FDA approval. And so that's going to cost, again, millions of dollars. Redmond, the Odyssey CEO, estimates it could cost about $12 million. And so he says they are beginning the process of moving into the phase two testing. And so as this story continues to develop over in Australia, as you just said, I want to turn back to the state of Mississippi at the end here. I mean, what are the prospects, as you understand the mark, of them recouping any of the now $2.1 million of welfare money, money that was intended to go to the poorest residents of the poorest state in America that ended up going to the Prevacus Project? I mean, I think that's really unclear. You know, Van Lanningham and Favre are very clear that they don't believe that they have any responsibility to return that money. If somehow Van Landingham were held responsible in this lawsuit, he's not really, it doesn't appear, at least based on sort of our reporting, that he's in much of a position to to pay back the state. I mean, one of the things that we found is that him and his companies had substantial debt judgments against them, liens over the course of the last several years. I mean, totaling more than $500,000. There's currently at least when you look at the state of Delaware's corporation website, there's currently the claim for an overdue tax bill of about $120,000. Previously, the Atlantic have faced a federal lien of $150,000, which he says was related to Prevacus and a company backing out on a deal with them. He says he ended up having to sell his home over that. So there's a, a whole series of liens and judgments and overdue bills that speak to a difficult financial situation related to Prevacus. Well, it seems like the thing we're trying to pin down here is a difficult question unto itself, a question that keeps on recurring with entrepreneurs pretty much everywhere, because this question is ancient, right? It's what qualifies as malice and what qualifies as incompetence when it comes to professing your belief in this thing you're trying to sell. Right, Because it seems like the excuse here is that they were just trying to market this miracle product that they believe in. So having spent as much time on this as you have, how bright does that line look to you? No, I think it's a really fascinating question. I mean, you, you know, based on the kind of reporting I'm going to do, I do that the last thing I'm going to do is like try to guess somebody's motivations. Yes. And suggest that I know what they're motivated uh, by. But what I, do, what I do find really interesting, and I think what was speaks to this question throughout is, of course, you know, there is this real push and pull around the research, right? And the ability to develop drugs. It's obviously an incredibly expensive process. And so, you know, as Van Landingham would suggest, he's the little guy. He's not big pharma. He's the little guy trying to make this happen. And that requires money. 
And to do something like that requires investors. And to get investors requires convincing people that you've got a product that can work and that you've got a product that has incredible promise. And so you do begin to sort of hit this very fine line and interesting question about how to how to effectively sell that product to investors while being very clear that, you know, the drug doesn't work yet. We don't know and we don't have any idea. But what I think in this case is really dramatic is these guys went on national television. Yes. Before the drug had even been tested on humans, before the drug was, while the drug was far away from FDA approval or before the cream product was even uh, something you could buy. Right. They went direct to consumer, Mark. They went direct to consumer with their advertising. Exactly. And so you're advertising a product on national television at this point or on podcasts on radio that not only is not for sale yet, but that has not been tested on humans. Look, I'm no expert in this area of, of reporting, but I don't remember like watching something on TV where someone's talking about a product that I can't buy yet that hasn't been tested yet on humans and saying this works or this is, this is, you know, this has got a great chance of working or this is what this is going to do. That, that's what I found most interesting, I think, as we, as we started to dig into all of this. And as for the concussion crisis, what do you think your reporting says about where the search for a solution to that might lead us next? I mean, I just think it's, it's, this is an ongoing issue that's not going away, right? I think that's what this reflects in, in ways that, you know, ha have not changed in, in some cases, that this is the $64 million question for the NFL, right? How do you fix this problem? How do you solve this problem? And is there a way? And rightfully so, you've got people trying to, to come up with the solution. And with that is going to come all kinds of efforts some more legitimate than others. And I'm not necessarily speaking to this as legitimate or not. I'm just saying some are going to be more legitimate than others. So there is this ongoing debate and discussion about how to fix the problem and whether it's even fixable. I think as long as that's an issue, you're going to have all manner of people trying to find ways to not only solve the issue, but capitalize on it. Mark Van Ruwada, thank you for following the money on ESPN Daily. My pleasure. Always fun to chat with you, Pablo. Thanks. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.